Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Shooting Through with Cheryl Ryan from 123 Travel. Located right in the heart of Budrum on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, just minutes away from the beach. As a local resident and owner of 123 Travel, I've been blessed with travelling all over the world to some incredible destinations. So wherever you are, relax and let me take you on a journey. This week we head off to Bhutan. My name is Cheryl Ryan and I'll be your host today. There is so much to love about Bhutan, a small country with a population of around 770,000 people. Predominantly Buddhist country and tucked between China and India, it only opened to tourism in 1974. Bhutan measures the quality of life by gross national happiness, the GNH, rather than gross domestic product, the GDP, striking a balance between material and mental well-being. Hence, it is often referred to as the happiest place in Southeast Asia. Arriving into Bhutan by air is nothing short of spectacular as you come alongside the Himalayan mountain range with views of Mount Everest, a little hair-raising at times. With peaks surrounding of up to around 18,000 feet and a relatively short runway, only a handful of pilots are legally allowed to fly into Bhutan Airport. One of the reasons for this is that the landing has to be done completely on manual, so without any radar guidance. Upon arrival by air, you will land at the small town of Paro. The airport is tiny and beautifully designed in traditional wooden structures and artwork. As so long as you have all the correct paperwork, entry and exit is very simple and straightforward and you'll find it very smooth. Getting around Bhutan is normally via four-wheel drive or small minivans or cars. All visitors, they must have a tour guide with them when arriving in Bhutan. The fixed daily rate will cover your accommodation, your transport, your guide and entry fees. However, you may find you prefer to have a higher level of quality of accommodation or a tour that pushes this figure out slightly. You'll need to pay tips and optional excursions on top of this as well. So now before I move on to the itinerary and what I would suggest to do whilst you're travelling in Bhutan and uh, other places that you may like to visit, I'll just mention something about money. I would suggest using the ATMs on arrival into Paro or when you arrive into Timpu as the ATMs are very limited and you will also need small denominations. So if you can get some change somewhere, I highly recommend doing this at the airport upon arrival and credit card use can be very limited I found in Bhutan as well. So after touchdown at Paro, you'll be met by your guide and driver and ready to explore Bhutan. Focus for this particular itinerary will be on the western Bhutan as this is the most popular area for tourists who travel to this area. Eastern Bhutan is a little bit more difficult to access due to the roads and I would suggest around maybe 11 to 12 day itinerary to make sure you cover most of the areas comfortably. You could shorten that back to 7 to 10 days, depending on where you want to travel to. Heading directly from Paro, you'll head off to the capital Timpu, which will take you around about one hour to one and a half hours, depending on the traffic. And the roads are very good and it's a very scenic trip along the way. So I stopped off about a halfway mark on the way to Timpu to check out the Tamchog Lakhang and this is an ancient 
iron chain suspension bridge. It was built by the 13th century Tibetan saint. The saint was said to be an architect and blacksmith, and it's roughly around 600 plus years old, and it's certainly well worth the visit and a stop along the way. Arriving into Timpu, you will experience the only really large-sized city in Bhutan. The capital of Timpu is is probably more like a small town with a touch of commercialism. There's no traffic lights here and there's only one roundabout and that is policed by a white glove policeman directing traffic. And that's certainly a photo opportunity not to be missed. It's also the only place in Bhutan where you can enjoy cafes and bars with a Western influence. So make sure to enjoy an espresso here before departing Timpo because it's most likely going to be the last one that you'll have. So overlooking Timpu is a 50 metre statue called the Buddha Dadema. This massive three-storey base houses a large chapel which is filled with another 125,000 smaller statues of Buddhas and it is best visited probably in the early morning or the late afternoon so that you can capture the light or even in the evening when it's all lit up. One of the most beautiful sites is the Trashy Cho Zong. Now Zong meaning temple or fortress building of which you will experience many and varied in Bhutan as you travel around. And it's set along the Wang Chu River which is right next door to the royal residence. And one of the things I'll mention here about the royal residence is there's no photography allowed even though it's very, very difficult to see it behind all the trees, but be very careful not to pop your photo or camera up to take a photo of this area at all, or you'll have uh, someone racing up beside you, probably ejecting you from the area. So it's set along the Wangchu River and originally built in 1218. It later had several fires that destroyed the Zong, and so it was rebuilt quite a number of times actually and it's now current form it was last built in 1962. The architecture around the courtyard is quite impressive and there is an excellent example of a traditional cantilever bridge which you can find on the northeast side. Stop off on the way back from there at the local market and you'll see a wide variety of local produce, souvenirs and incense and here you may like to try the dried yak cheese which is a local delicacy rock-like you pop a piece into your mouth and then you suck on it till it dissolves it's definitely what i would call a required taste and that was certainly something i didn't enjoy very much at all but when people were out tracking and it was something they could carry and it was a great sustaining piece of food for them whilst they couldn't access other things i guess so depending on your time frame the other thing worth visiting is the local archery field and it's right in the centre of town and uh, I was lucky enough to stay and I could see it out my hotel window and I could watch the games below. It's a very social game, regularly occurs on the weekends, so you can usually find a, a game occurring somewhere in town. Uh, traditional songs and dances are all part of the entertainment of the archery game and uh, so you won't be disappointed if you go along to watch one of those. It's certainly not a boring experience. I also paid a visit to the local art galleries and some of the traditional paper making complexes along with a visit to a place called Simply Bhutan. Now it's an interactive museum that gives you I guess a day-to-day -day life of traditional Bhutan and here you can try your hand at archery, you can taste the local wine arak, 
you can dress up and there's much, much more to be involved in. It's a lot of fun and although it is a little touristy driven, but it gives you a very good insight to the traditional Bhutanese life. So from Timpo, I headed off towards Panaka. This was my next stop. Around about the halfway mark, you climb steadily up to reach the Dotchala Pass. Now, it's situated at 3,140 metres and it's marked by 108 shortens and a large array of flags. And it's quite a spectacular place just to stop along the roadside and take in the view. And on a really clear day, which is quite rare, you'll get a chance to see a view of the actual Himalayas as the backdrop. Which I must say, I'm yet to witness this because the cloud cover's been quite heavy when I've been there. So in the cooler weather, the cafe has an amazing, lovely, warm fireplace to sit by and they serve a great coffee there as well. So from here, the road winds its way down into Panaka Valley below, a wonderful area for some white water rafting and mountain bike trails. So a good spot to start some adventure activities. One of the most spectacular zongs and my favourite is the Panaka Zong. It's situated where two rivers converge and it's a wonderful example of the Bhutanese architecture. You'll see jacarandas flowering in September against the whitewashed walls and with the red-robed monks wandering around the courtyard, it's quite a lovely sight to behold. Construction of this particular zong commenced in 1637. Damaged by frequent fires and earthquakes, there have been many repairs done over the time, which you can see, but it's still quite a spectacular zong. A stroll further on past the zong will take you to the longest suspension bridge in Bhutan, which is adorned with colourful prayer flags and it's around about 160 metres in length. A spectacular views of the river and valley below can be seen and it's a great starting point for multi-day tracks from here, although you can easily just head off on a short walk to enjoy some of the village area just around the surrounding district. In complete contrast, I have to mention the crazy wisdom of Tibet in the form of the divine madman. It's one of Bhutan's favourite saints, and his name was Dharma Drukpa Kinli. During his time from 1455 to 1529, he travelled throughout Tibet and then into Bhutan using songs, humour, and sometimes outrageous behaviour to dramatise his teachings, often using obscenities, actions, and sexual antics. These were all a deliberate method of provoking people to disregard their preconceptions. His sexual exploits are legendary and the flying phalluses that you see painted on houses and hanging from rooftops symbolise the Lama. A notice on a, uh, a board reads, to symbolise the discomfort that society expresses when facing the truth. So it's an interesting walk as you walk up towards the temple and you're surrounded by just these phalluses everywhere and there's plenty of souvenirs if you want to take one home as well. So many childless women go to this temple on the hill and they like to receive a blessing from the saint to help with fertility or they even bring their newborns here to be named as well. So lastly before departing Panaka Valley it's worth visiting the Sang Chen, the Dorji Ludendrop Nunnery which is set high up on the hillside overlooking the valley with spectacular views. It was financed by the fourth king's father-in-law to serve as a Buddhist college for some 120 nuns, which uh, still operates today. 
So heading east from Panaka, we now head towards a place called Trongsa. And we have to climb upwards again to cross the Pila Pass this time over the Black Mountains, the actual physical boundary between Western and Central Bhutan. So we pass along the way lots of small villages and the road winds through blasted out cliff faces that drop off to the valley below. At the top, there's about a three kilometre forest drive that leads to the Pili Pass. And this is situated at 3,420 metres and it's marked by again Chortons and an array of prayer flags. Highly unlikely to get a clear view due to the cloud club cover here. However, there's a lovely uh, couple of little stalls up here that sell some beautiful gifts and I did manage to buy one of my very favourite yak shawls here and I must admit I was very grateful because up at this height it was pretty chilly and I was happy to have it wrapped around me. So once you leave the Pili Pass you start heading downhill from here and you head down into the Fobajika Valley which will you'll discover a bowl-shaped glacial valley and it's on the western slopes of the Black Mountains. And due to the large flock of black-necked cranes that arrive for the winter, and that's roughly from October to November, it's become one of the most important wildlife preserves in the country. Other wildlife here include the barking deer, the wild boar, sambas, black bear, leopard, and also the red foxes. And along the drive, you're bound to encounter plenty of wandering yaks, so you won't miss out on seeing them. They're everywhere. The main agriculture for the area is potatoes, which exported over to India. The valley offers many opportunities for hikers in this area, and it's a wonderful place to explore on foot or even on mountain bike, and there's plenty of trails in the area. So heading further west, I arrive into Trongsa, a small village of only around maybe 2,000 people. It's a little sleepy and pleasant village and I head off to visit the Trongzazong. It's spectacularly positioned high above the raging, it's the Mangdi Chu, which Chu meaning river in Bhutan, and it's surrounded with alley-like corridors which connect the buildings and courtyards and construction of this commenced back in 1517 in varying stages with the present form being built in 1644. And you can actually take a walk from town up the winding stairs but it's quite a hike or you can take the easier option and just drive up. There's a museum in the watchtower with five floors of displays focused on Buddhist art and memorabilia. It's an interesting place to visit and certainly not to be missed when you're in Chongsa. So from here, Bumthang Valley is next and it's a general term for a collection of about four valleys which all combine together and it, it makes up this entire region. The area is quite famous for its Swiss cheese and brewed beer called Red Panda. You can do tours of the microbrewery here in the cheese factory. I headed off to visit the Jampei Lakan Temple. This fabulous temple is believed to have been built in the 7th century and does have that incredible ancient feeling as you enter inside. Inside the main entry, there are three stone steps. The first signifies the past, the historical Buddha. This step has descended into the ground and is covered up with a wooden plank. The second stone step is level with the ground and it represents the present. 
The top step represents a new age and it's believed that once the present age sinks to the ground level, the gods will become human and the world as we know it will end. The central figure in the chapel is Jampa, the Buddha of the future, with his feet upon an elephant. And this is the oldest part of the chapel. To really enjoy the area and see all the sights, it would be worthwhile extending your stay here for two to three days. And especially if you've sort of come to this area to see the black-necked cranes because you could spend a bit of time trying to spot them. I head back on my journey via the valley toward Paro from here for the highlight of my trip to Bhutan to climb the tiger's nest. Feeling a little anxious and hoping my fitness has improved over the last week to make the distance up to the monastery. I did have one last place to visit before my final day and that was to experience a traditional stone bath. I headed to a local farm with mountain-fed spring water and I stepped inside a small room which was dimly lit to find a bathtub filled with hot water. The tub was an old timber style and it was topped with a variety of herbs floating in the steaming water. I unrobed and lulled myself in for a relaxing hour of bliss after my week of hiking and staircases. As the water cooled, I had been instructed to lift my foot and bang it on the wall. To my surprise, a little door opened and hot stones were loaded into the far end of the tub protected from my view, and more importantly theirs, and also any contact with my feet. The water began to heat up again, and a voice yelled, should I require any more? And I actually said, no, I'm good. And I giggled to myself at the sheer beauty of the simple pleasures in life. An early rise as we drove to the car park of the Tiger's Nest Monastery, and as I said, feeling a little anxious about the hike up the mountain. I hired myself a walking stick, which I highly recommend, and I also hired myself a horse. Yes, a horse. This would take me as far as the first stage to the cafe and ensure I'd make the distance for the rest of the way. These sturdy horses make several trips a day, taking much-needed resources up to the mountain and along with the not-so-fit tourists. The track up is dusty and dry and requires you to be alert at all times for the horses returning unaccompanied back down the mountain can be quite dangerous as they bound around a corner on every now and again. I would suggest a mask to help with the dust, especially in the drier season. Prayer flags adorn the trees as we climb higher and higher and at the cafe we stop off and capture the magnificent view of the monastery sitting on the edge of the cliff above for the very first time. It is here I leave my trusty steed behind but not before lightening my backpack from the one kilo bag of carrots I had carted along with me for a thank you for a safe journey. As I sat down to drink my tea and enjoy a few biscuits I look in awe and wonder how on earth they built this monastery. On inquiry into this matter I am told that tradition says the building is anchored to the cliff face by the hairs of the Candoroma, a female celestial being who transported the building materials up onto the cliff on their backs. It is said that the Guru Arunapache flew to the site of the monastery on the back of a tigress to subdue the local demon. He then meditated in a cave here 
for three months. Pilgrims from all over come to this site to visit, and the primary site was constructed in 1692 around the Holy Cave. In 1998, sadly, a fire destroyed the main structure in a reported cover for theft. The repairs commenced in 2000, and it all reopened again in 2005. And as I gather up my walking cane, I start the second part of the climb, winding up and in and around the heavily pined forest track. The rhododendron red flowers are in bloom, which make for a pleasant walking experience. The last part of the track begins at the stair section of a steep climb down and up again and down and up to finish at the monastery. The final destination soothing my muscles with the gift of a spectacular view and the magnificent structure in front of me. Having left early, I take plenty of time to explore the many levels and interesting rooms that each feature in their own story. The walk back down is a pleasant one and we arrive in time to enjoy a restaurant with a view back up to the monastery. Having done this trip several times now, I can confess to two facts. It never ceases to take my breath away and the walk certainly does not get any easier. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode on Bhutan and I look forward to exploring Myanmar with you on my next week's podcast shooting through that's all from me this week thanks for listening and remember if you want to support the show then share subscribe and leave a review or comment you can find me on facebook and instagram at 123 travel budrum and on twitter at 123 travel about you can also find all my episodes and loads of great travel information on my website at 123 travel I look forward to having you join me on the next episode of Shooting Through.